But what happened in Brazil right now, what has been reported to have happened, is that the winning campaign basically used the software to harvest from Facebook people's phone numbers. You know, so is that enough? You know, when you go to Facebook and you put up your profile and you say, okay, you can use my phone number. Uh, did you actually mean that people could take your phone number, put you in a WhatsApp group and start sending fake news? Hello and welcome to Exploring Digital Spheres, a podcast produced by the Humboldt Institute for Internet and Society. My name is Wouter Bernhardt, and together with The Hig and its researchers, I'll be diving deep into a world of coding, rating, nudging, and filtering, asking questions on how our digital society works and what the future might look like. Every month, we'll release two episodes. One episode, The Insight Perspective, will be me interviewing one of the researchers of The Hig. Our last episode was all about remixes and upload filters. And then in the second episode, The Outside Perspective, it will be one of the researchers themselves conducting an interview with somebody in their field. Today, researchers Amelie Held and Clara Iglesias-Keller will be discussing fake news and how it has the potential of influencing elections, like those in Brazil a few weeks back. Here's Amelie and Clara in Exploring Digital Spheres. So in our series today... Um we are going to talk about fake news. Uh, so as a brief introduction, uh, my name is Emily. I've studied law in France and Germany. I'm now working as a researcher at the Hans Bredow Institute in Hamburg and at the Humboldt Institute for Internet and Society. That's where we are today. So my research field is the transformation of public communication. To be more specific, I work on uh, questions regarding freedom of speech in the digital sphere. So that includes um, algorithm, uh, algorithms and opinion formation, datification of journalism, artificial intelligence and content moderation, including upload filters. And that leads me to our the topic of our talk today, the so-called fake news regulation and political micro-targeting. For this purpose, I've been looking at a French law project that is about um, false information in election campaign periods, and that has been quite uh, discussed in, um, on the international level because uh, more and more countries are facing this problem of um, f uh, information manipulation. So we're going to talk about that later um, about this specific project. Uh, but now I would like to introduce our guest today, um, Clara. Welcome, Clara. Thank you. Uh, Clara Keller is a guest researcher here at the Humboldt Institute for Internet and Society. She's visiting from Brazil. And uh, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your research? Yes, thank you so much, Emily. Thank you for having me here today for this talk. Um, well, as you pointed out, I have been a visiting researcher here at the Hayagi since June now. And I'm here to write my PhD thesis and do some research on the national regulations of online service providers, but very much focused on Brazil. 
and also considering internet governance principles. In a nutshell, what I'm trying to do is to identify, identify which regulatory techniques and processes lead to results that better suit internet's peculiarities, like technical characteristics, political arrangements, and everything. Um, but I do work on some other things as well. I'm actually a lawyer with a background in media, IT, and communications regulation, I have two masters in this field. I have worked for corporations, NGOs, and I have spent a considerable amount of time working for the Brazilian Audiovisual Regulatory Authority. So I also do a, some work on constitutional law, democratic institutions. So it, it gets pretty clear where my interest in fake news comes from, you know, joining all these research interests. But I actually think it's kind of hard to be from Brazil right now and not be interested in fake news, considering what just happened in our elections. Or maybe that's something that uh, uh, is, actually, uh, is happening everywhere, I guess. You know? So maybe it's hard to be from anywhere and not be interested in fake, interested in fake news right now. Yeah, definitely. So uh, from what I understood, is it, it's also an, a research interest that has come with the patent within the past years for you? Well, um, as something that I have been actively studying, I would say it was mostly uh, fired up by the election process. Um, it started uh, around May or June this year um, when, when, you know, the whole public debate in Brazil was already concerned with what would happen with the elections. Mm. Uh, we had already seen what happened in the U.S., you know, with Trump's election, and we had seen what had happened in Brexit already here in Europe. And we were expecting this to be a challenging election, um, mostly because of artificial intelligence manipulation of information. And it totally lived up to it, because that's exactly what happened. And considering the studies that I had been doing already, uh, I started getting um, asked to do some talks or interviews or writing papers. And that's how I uh, inevitably, I would say, ended up studying this furthermore. From what you just described, uh, it was a quite similar process for me because I have uh, lived in, and studied in France and therefore um, also studied uh, or followed the French elections last year very closely. And um, since President Macron was also subject to um, manipulation of information or at least rumors that have been propagated uh, about him during this election time, the French lawmakers started a, a law project against false information in election times. And that uh, includes um, actually the implementation of two old laws um, that had already been there before. So these two laws were designed for the analog world, let's say. And what the new law project is trying to do is to bring those laws into the digital sphere. So... I think it shows quite well that it's a problem that has already been there before. It's just that with the the technologies of today, um, we're just facing new challenges and uh, everything just gets so much faster and maybe also more difficult to really identify where the false information or the manipulation is coming from. So that's uh, the, let's say, the, the French case I've been looking at and Now, what would be very interesting is to hear, like, in light of the recent elections you have already mentioned in Brazil, 
what is the situation over there and what are the regulatory projects? Well, I think you make some very good points uh, when you talk about the French experience. Um, I always like to uh, start talking about fake news by saying that lying is not illegal and it hasn't been. Uh, for a long time. And so that people have always lied and manipulated information. And except for the cases where the law tells you that this is illegal and it already provides for remedies like libel, slander, or privacy breaches. If not for that case, those cases, you don't have pretty much of regulation of this lying or something that forbids you from manipulating information. If you think about it, um, media regulation uh, institutions uh, have been trying to deal with this for a long time, uh, you know, with assuring that the public debate, that the, the public sphere will be minimally fair and impartial and participative and open. So... Let's say that the main issue here is not something that has never been addressed or object of study or worry. So what is new now, as you properly mentioned, is the use of technology to create this artificial echo. If you think about it, it's natural and expected from the, the democratic process that whatever is going on in the public debate is echoed in the results of elections or referendums or whatever. You know, but what bothers us now is that there's this artificial echo being created with the automated um, spread of one single message that most of the time is a fake message. So we end up with this feeling that our elections results were affected by an artificial echo, by an artificial message, you know, because it's not necessarily what is coming from most of the citizens. It's not necessarily a natural debate that is happening. And we get this feeling that this not, should not be treated as, you know, as we have treated manipulation of information so far. And I think that is the right thing to feel. You know, I don't think both phenomena should be treated equal in democracies. What I think happened in Brazil uh, in the last elections, I mean, what has been reported so far, is that the fake news strategy of the campaign of the elected president was very much based on WhatsApp. You know, uh, as we know, there are several different ways of using technology to disrupt and manipulate information. You can use algorithm curation. You can use bots to replicate messages. You can do political micro-targeting. Or, you know, nowadays, these uh, tools to manipulate videos and news reporting and everything, they're getting more and more efficient. So there's like different ways of messing this up, I would say. But what happened in Brazil right now, what has been reported to have happened is that the winning campaign basically used the software to harvest from Facebook people's phone numbers. Only from those users who have inserted their phone numbers on Facebook in their Facebook profiles as public information. So the software harvested those numbers and created like hundreds of thousands of WhatsApp groups. And uh, through one centralized content production uh, source, it started spreading those fake news through WhatsApp. 
So what some users re uh, report is that they one day saw them their cell phone numbers added to this WhatsApp group. Uh, many of them with foreign numbers, numbers from the U.S., numbers from India, numbers from places they didn't even, even recognize. And uh, then they just started spreading that message. And immediately some people would leave the groups, but some people would identify with those messages and stay. And then just start forwarding those messages to other groups. And apparently that is how these fake news started circulating. So could the users see who created the group? I mean, you can see a number, but could you identify where the information was coming from? No, they just identified these numbers that were many times foreign, sometimes from Brazil. And, you know, whoever was not comfortable with those messages just left the groups, you know, but people who identified minimally stayed and started getting that content and spreading it out. Yeah, and it's, of course, the fake news strategy, the information manipulation strategy is never based on one thing. You know, this is what was reported so far that we know that uh, happened. And of course, it was just one part of the strategy. You know, uh, political campaigns nowadays, they consider social media in a much broader sense. So, uh, for instance... It is possible to identify a little bit of an information chaos within the campaign, as in somebody from the campaign would tell you something, and then uh, later on, somebody else would say the opposite thing. And then at the end of the, the day, the then candidate, now elected president, would come and pacify the discourse, you know, as the savior of the whole information mm -hmm. mess. So... You and I, we had a chance to talk about this uh, once, but it's, I, I always think this is a good example mentioning uh, around June this year, a Supreme Court Justice of Brazil uh, actually made a declaration saying that if the results of the elections were proven to be influenced by fake news, the whole thing could be annulled. You know, and there's just so much complexity to this statement. Uh, and um, it, it like, it seems such a, like such an unfair simplification of the issue, you know, because in order to actually annul an election or any other democratic process result, it has to be so much, so clear. It has to be so mathematically proven that that result is illegitimate, you know, but how would you do that? How would you say that because of this piece of fake ad, somebody uh, or how many people exactly voted in a certain way and how are you going to prove that that was not the way they would have voted anyway at first and this without affecting their privacy because i mean exactly the 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 choice to vote for a party for another is a very private subject to privacy and and secrecy so i think that's not something we can really how how can we measure that and it's i'm i'm happy you mentioned uh, this um this uh, Uh, anecdote because I was uh, I was going to ask how can we really enforce these kind this type of regulation if we look at laws against uh, information manipulation how can we really prove um, that people are well maybe propagating false information this we can show but the effects that they really have on election results I mean Can we can we really measure that? Yeah, and I don't know. I, I'm not even sure that we should look at final results. When, when you're talking about how to regulate these things or how to deal with them, I'm not even sure we should be looking at the results phase. I think we should take a step back 
and maybe look at previous arrangements. Well, when we're talking about information, we, we are always talking about a conflict between a certain value and freedom of expression. No, and another issue that we have here is that most of the technological mechanisms that are used to regulate information, they also uh, impose several risks to freedom of information online. This is something that you usually write about. Right, Emily. Yeah. Well, that's. Uh, I think the 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 big problem here is always the balancing. The tools we can use in order to protect freedom of information, or um, in order to protect privacy, they can either way also be used to restrict freedom of speech. So it's very hard to find uh, um, the perfect solution here. However taking a step step back as you said um the measures uh, that we could use uh, are well, the first thing that comes to my mind when we talk about f false information dissemination or disinformation is countermeasures such as counter speech i'm not very convinced of that and it's not a regulatory tool but a lot of scholars have been saying that count uh, counter speech in in this case it would be better and more factual information could be something that helps. So as, as long as you have good information sources um, and free media, that can already be a tool against uh, this type of uh, private WhatsApp groups or other type of ads that uh, lead to a more an information that is based on, on other groups. I mean, not coming from classical media. Yeah, alternative sources. Yeah. Yeah, but actually it is always fair to say that classical and traditional media also have played an important part, you know, because now they have all this fact-checking duties. Oh, of course, they already had them, but now with fake news, you have seen so many websites with traditional and new media, you know, just gathering efforts to try to find out what was fake and what was real. And if you think about it, this is also part of the strategy that I told you, you know, because you throw all this fake information out there and instead of people having more time to look into your actual proposals and everything, everybody's just trying to figure out what's truth and what's not. You know, this is actually a very good strategy, you know, if you want to keep your, your main uh, agenda out of the public debate, you know, just throw all this fake information out there. But anyway, I think I, I lost track a little bit here. Speaking about countermeasures, this is obviously an exercise, but I would say a few things. I would say that it has to be multidisciplinary. I would say that a merely legal approach is never going to be enough because this is a multidisciplinary phenomenon. You know, it's about um, democratic institutions. It's about the law, but it's also about sociology. It's about politics. And it's also about psychology, you know, with all these mechanisms, mechanisms of reinforcement, not to mention technology. So first, I would say this is not a job only for lawyers, for certain. And uh, I would also say it's a job for several different agents, you know, and this, th what I just really uh, reported here is a good example of that. You know, during the campaign, Uh, Facebook was taking down fake profiles. Traditional media and new media gathered efforts to do some fact-checking. Civil society was organizing counter-speech. People were going out in the streets to, <laughs> through human contact and through, through human talk, trying to tell other people, uh, especially the ones that were not sure yet about how to vote. So this is the kind of countermeasure that... 
That is not only regulatory. I mean, that it's is not only regulatory. Exactly. Yes. And of course, there's also a duty for regulators here. You know, um, what is it exactly? Something that we had to, to, to find out with time. But for instance, another that interesting thing to think about is if we have such a hard time balancing other values with freedom of expression without restricting it. You know, maybe, uh, we can look at other fields. For instance, data protection. You know, uh, last, last week, uh, we were talking a lot about data protection in Brazil here, especially because of how this is, these elections played. You know, with this thing of, this thing with harvesting data considered to be publicly accessible, it really gives you an idea of that maybe things are not that simple. You know, because if you think about it, we do have a data protection law. It was not enforced yet when the whole elections things happened. But even if it was, it wouldn't have been enough because the kind of da data that they used is not considered um, sensitive data or data that is actually protected. It was just publicly available data, you know. So is that enough? You know, when you go to Facebook and you put up your profile and you say, okay, you can use my phone number. Uh, did you actually mean that people could take your phone number, put you in a WhatsApp group and start sending fake news? I don't think so. It's the same, it has been the same with Cambridge Analytica, playing a game on Facebook, giving your data to, or at least your public information to an app. Is that enough for you to, to consent uh, to giving not only your data, but also the one of your friends? And what type of consent are we talking about here? Yeah. So that is one of the big questions in, in, in data protection law. And I think... When we, when we talk about fake news in election times or disinformation, we tend to think more of political rights in the sense that voting or uh, media freedom yes. and freedom of speech are concerned. Then again, everything that has, that has led to uh, those disinformation campaigns has been the data that was exactly. somehow available on the internet and in both cases available via Facebook. So I think that data protection is a good path to take here and uh, there's more research to be done when it comes to what is really public, what is sensitive and what is really the consent of a user. Clara, thank you very much uh, for, for talking with me today about uh, this very serious topic. Thank you, Amelie. It's always a pleasure. That were Amelie Helt and Clara Iglesias-Keller. More information on their research can be found on the website of the Humboldt Institute, hiig.de. In the next episode, I'll be talking to Björn Scheuermann on the effects of algorithms and machine learning. This was Exploring Digital Spheres. Catch you on the flip side. <laughs>